Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed epiphany season to all of you this Tuesday, February the 1st. Oh boy, we are already in February in the midst of the epiphany season. And I don't know about you, but in Minnesota, it is a grand and wonderful time when we get past January. But today, we gather in the light of our Lord Jesus as we study the inspired and true word of God and see Christ, our light and our life. And this light shines on us today from Matthew chapter 13. Now, these parables, I I say probably a lot on the program, these parables are my favorite parables, partly because when I was on Vicarage, this was a sermon that I did, and my mind was blown as me and my supervisor went through this text and preached on it for the first time, just understanding what it means. It means for identity, um, what is the hidden treasure, what is the pearl of great value, and what does it mean for us of the net that is thrown. All of this gives us so much grace and so much Jesus. We'll find out today as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kaivi Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Pastor Parviz, happy Epiphany and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Brady. Thank you for having me on today. All right. Well, Pastor, tell us what's going on for you and your family and the work of the saints at Kai V. Shalom. Well, we're working on uh, trying to embrace technology, much like you have with KFUO. Yeah. Working on a sort of podcast call-in Zoom broadcast called uh, The Town Square, conversations uh, about community and culture, trying to not be religious per se, but obviously to look for those gospel bridges as people come and talk about the things that are going on in their lives uh, to sort of bring Jesus to them. So that's kind of the new project for our ministry as we go forward from here. I imagine uh, Epiphany is a wonderful season. We've had some nice sunny days here, but I mean, it's kind of gray up there in Minnesota. <laughs> well, even when the sun is out, negative 10 does not make it a happier day. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. You get pretty cold. We're supposed to get 6 to 10 inches on Wednesday. So, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, I fell down some stairs. So, I'm dreading the uh, ice and snow again, but that's life. We'll see what happens. And how are you recovering? You feeling better? Yeah, I'm doing much better. I've got some uh, infrared light therapies. Uh, in fact, I'm hooked up right now. So oh, well, <laughs> very good. Well, Pastor, a reminder to our listeners, keep praying for a pastor and, and uh, one, that ministry and, and trying to reach out to people in different ways. It's always a good reminder for us that we are always serving in our vocations and the Lord is always at work as we serve in different ways. So keep that in your prayers and we pray that something like today, I think today's parables really relate well, that when someone asks questions about Christianity, we're able to clearly articulate what the gospel is according to these parables that we see today. So, Pastor, as we yeah. begin our study, can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this day and your word, which guards and guides by your Holy Spirit our faith. And we pray, Father, that through this study today that many would be blessed and strengthened in their faith 
to the end that they would be uh, strong witnesses for you in the communities in which they live. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our study today in Matthew chapter 13, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, we're going to start this morning by reading all three parables. We are in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44. Now, we kind of jump back and forth with parables and Jesus' explanation. The struggle we have in today's parables is Jesus doesn't give us an explanation, and it's unfortunate because his explanations are the best. Um, but today, we are able to look at these three, and they're very important. First of all, in the history of the church, uh, the confessions speak to these. Um, at the same time, uh, we, we have to ask the question, how do we interpret these faithfully according to what the rest of Scripture has to say? So we'll start verse 44. I'll read all the way through verse 50. And we hear God's word. We are reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are our words today um, for us to study. Pastor Parviz, let's start with, with something that we've been asking throughout our study of parables. If someone were to ask you in your church and uh, or community, whoever you're speaking to, I heard of a parable. What is a parable? What would you say? So, you know, obviously the classic answer to what is a parable is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so it is a story that has a heavenly meaning but is grounded in our own experiences so that we can have some some context for understanding what is the heavenly meaning. And that's the purpose of Jesus speaking in parables. And, of course, he has said, he speaks to the crowd in parables. He does explain some to his disciples. I would take some exception because I think he explains these three as well. He just doesn't do it quite as directly as he mm-hmm. does with the parable of the weed. But uh, in that parable, he gives us a methodology for understanding these parables. Oh, you're exactly right. And that's where... Um It was interesting because when we were studying the other ones, it was like, how would you interpret this? And it's like, okay, we better go to Jesus first before we start (laughs) trying to get our own interpretation into it. And you're right, that is an interpretive key as we look at the parables today. Now, Pastor, these these parables, I, I know you've gone through a number of times as a pastor. Like I mentioned, they were important to me on Vicarage and continuously as I preach them and teach them, um... Uh, any any stories, any background with these parables, how you've used them and, and ways that they've uh, uh, blessed your people? Well, you know, here's the deal. Our ministry is a ministry that 
ministers primarily to the unchurched, and very few of our members are people who have a long history in the church. And so when they become introduced to the scriptures, and especially the New Testament scriptures, it's so very tempting to try to um, interpret these parables with us as the actor. And what that does for people is puts them under a terrible burden and, a, and, a, and the law that they cannot possibly keep. And of course, Jewish people are, uh, if they're religious at all, they're very cognizant of the fact that we need to keep the law. And the law is something that we can't possibly keep. I mean, uh, a third of the 613 commandments are all based around temple worship in which there is no more temple. But we still, you know, human beings still try to make themselves the actor rather than relying on the fact that the kingdom of heaven is never something that we go out and search for, but always something that comes to us in our broken, sinful state. And so I think the the interpretive key that Jesus gives us with the parable of the weeds is so important because people get so burdened by interpreting these parables incorrectly and making themselves the actor who have to go out and sell everything they own in order to to find and receive Jesus. Um, it puts such a burden on people that they become uh, so distressed that sometimes they even fall away from whatever little nascent faith they might already have. And that's an important um, way for us to look at this because when we, what often would be called a Christological way of interpreting the scriptures, we, we speak a lot here on Thy Strong Word about putting on our Christ goggles um, and, and making sure that we're um, seeing that, but also to have Christ goggles on as we live in our life, you know, live in our daily vocations. And so it's mm-hmm. so important, like you're saying, that we can say that, but then to put it into practice is very vital today. And I'll use an example that when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is what we read on Sunday in our congregation, at least in our lectionary, it's one of those passages as the love love chapter that when you read it, you can just, it can be more burdensome because you're like, oh my gosh, my love for my wife is not patient. You know, you read this at a, at a <laughs> you read this at a, yeah. a, a wedding. I'm not, I, I envy all the time. I'm arrogant and rude. Um, I don't, I insist on my own way. You go down the whole list and heard a pastor once do this, replace love with Jesus. And then it opens it up in a whole new way and then shows us, because Jesus does this, this is how I am, to, I am to live in the embrace of God as opposed to God outside of me and trying to find him. So just give you an example here. Christ is patient and kind. Christ does not envy or boast. Christ is not arrogant or rude. And you go down the whole list and obviously seeing that in the cross. And, and I like how you said that too, how often we might put a burden on others by putting the onus and putting the um, responsibilities of everything on their shoulders. Any any other thoughts on that before we dig in and put on those Christ goggles? Well, of course, on Sunday I got to preach on First Corinthians thirteen. Ah, and and I'm always amazed that that's that's such a a, a, a welcome and desired marriage passage because while it sets a standard for our marriages. It's a standard we can't possibly keep. Right. And yet we can keep it. And, and I, I hasten to add, 
while it is Christ who is patient, Christ who is kind, Christ who does not envy, but it does, I mean, you know, the law does have a purpose even for us as believers. It prompts us to respond that even in our broken ways, we are called to love our neighbor and to love our brothers and sisters. And so, you know, we may not, you know, you're, I am just like you. I am very arrogant, often rude. Uh, you know, I envy every pastor when I go to speak in a church and they have a beautiful church. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I can't live up to any of these standards, but Christ lives up to them for me. But yet that does call me to a response that says I can still love even in the limited broken way that I, that only I can love. And that's why it's good for us to once again, go back to the mercies of Christ, which is what we'll do today. Do, go right there today in these parables. So, um, and, and, and it's good for us too. just a reminder that, yeah, pastors can be quite arrogant. And uh, what did, what did one person call us? Thin skinned narcissists. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> we tend to be very arrogant, but we also are very, very, um, I guess, uh, 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 emotional might not be the right word, but just, you know, we care about people and we want to care about people, but at the same time, yeah, very exactly. arrogant. I mean, we only, you can only seek the pastoral office with one love for others, but also a, a little bit of arrogance because it takes, you know, we get a lot of arrows shot our way and you have to be a little arrogant to be able to stand all those arrows. And that's why, once again, we go back to the Word of God. So let's do that now. We'll just go each parable at a time, even though there's kind of a thread in the first two. We'll just go through the first one. Verse 44, I'll read it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What are your first thoughts here, Pastor, on, on, the, on this verse and the hidden treasure? So, you know, I still have to go back to the parable of the weeds explained. Um, you know, the, the disciples, Jesus has been teaching the crowds a bunch of parables. The disciples say, why do you teach them in parables? And he says, this is the fulfillment the prophecy of Isaiah. And then they get together in private. And they say, you know, explain to us this parable of the weeds. And, um, and he, says, he says it very clearly because the parable of the weeds starts with, the kingdom of heaven mm. may be compared to a man who sowed good seed. And then he says when he goes to explain it, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, is me, right? And so we always have to recognize that Jesus is always the actor, in these parables, especially of the kingdom of heaven. In and of ourselves, we can pray for God's kingdom to come, but and we know from you know the Lord's Prayer and the small catechism, God's kingdom comes with or without us, but we pray that it will come into our lives. It's, it is the kingdom of heaven that comes to us, not we going in search of them. And I've heard the, you know, the, the, the parable of the hidden treasure so often you know, especially in, in other circles in Christian churches, that the treasure hidden in the field is Jesus, and we are the ones who find Jesus and then goes and sells everything we have in order to buy the field that Jesus is buried in. Number one, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And number two, it puts this onerous burden upon us, when in fact that's not the actor, 
Jesus already gives us the interpretive key. He is the actor. And so we, apparently, if he's the actor, are the treasure hidden in a field. And, and what a joy that is to be the treasure in which Jesus finds us, protects us, until such time as he gives himself all that he has on the cross and, uh, and buys our field by his death and resurrection. And so, you know, it is Jesus who is the actor, and we're this priceless treasure that he finds. Um, you know, that, that we're, we're mired in our sin, we're stuck in, our, in the law, we're, you know, all the, whatever activity that we're in that we are being burdened with, but yet Jesus sees us as this priceless treasure that he will give and sell all that he has um, in order to, to buy us. And that purchase the language is so important because we are captives of, and, and slaves of Satan, and he buys us back. He redeems us. That's what that redemption language is, that marketplace language. He sells everything he has to buy us. And everything he has, of course, is the life of the Son of God. Now, one thing that is interesting is when we're looking through this text, and this is probably where we usually begin, is like we sing in the hymn, Jesus, priceless treasure, fount of purest pleasure, truest friend to me. Um, We think of Jesus always as the treasure. And it's it's interesting to me just to, to think through this as you were talking, to be able to use the interpretation that he has in the parable of the weeds and then to transfer that to this. That's something I hadn't reflected on as much as I should have, for sure. And it is interesting because the kingdom of heaven is God's reign. We talk a lot about the kingdom and the gospel of Matthew, um, that Christ's reign has come, um, Christ's reign is still here, and Christ's reign is coming. And here he's showing this is how God operates. We often will see Jesus as a treasure. So just kind of to interpret this poorly, Pastor, I just want to make sure that we're not necessarily doing this, that that we think Jesus is a treasure, um, that he's hidden in the field, which is kind of a weird thing when you think about it. Um, What's the problem of us acting like Jesus is hidden in a field? Why would that be problematic? I mean, because that then puts the burden upon us to go out and search for Jesus. And in our broken, sinful state as slaves to Satan, we have no power mm-hmm. to go and search for Jesus. We can only be be found by him and redeemed by him. And, you know, it's it just, even for those who are believers who still are under this particular uh, core interpretation, it is, number one, I, I mean, just to put some hyper, hyperbole on it, is he still buried? Is he not resurrected? I mean, so what are we doing? Searching for the dead Jesus so that we can resurrect him? I mean, there's all kinds of bad ways you can go with this. Um, and, and and Jesus hidden in a field and only, I mean, can only be interpreted by those who want to go that way as someone who is hidden away. We can't see him, perhaps still in the tomb, I think that's probably hyperbole, sure. but um, and, and we have to do something in order to find him. And there's nothing we can do to find Jesus. Jesus comes to us. And this is where it gets even 
stranger, which a man found. Okay, all right. So let's just say that we could find Jesus and covered up. It's kind Cover of- him up. <laughs> yeah, what's that about? <laughs> it reminds me of... Bury him twice? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. We have to bury him ourselves or something. And it, it reminds me of that kid song where it says, you know, hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> so it reminds right, me of yeah. that a little bit where even the yeah. little kids would understand that doesn't make any sense. Now, so we... we and yet that's a, that's, a, that's a common interpretation of this parable. And that's... And if, in fact, the parable is a heavenly... Is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I mean, we can understand the her- earthly story. If we're the man looking for a treasure, uh, we know it's found on someone else's land. We want to be honest about it, so we bury it again. We go out and sell everything we have. We buy that field, and we then now the treasure is ours. That you know, that earthly story makes sense. Right. In that sense, but it has no heavenly meaning whatsoever. That's not a parable anymore. Very good point. Yeah, very good point. And then, and then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buries that field. So for us, it's very difficult even to look at this in a faithful way because, like you said, the the main purpose is us. God is really not even in the picture as far as his action to us. Now, let's, let's just read it once again according to what you have said. And I'll try to add a few words here to, to emphasize what's happening. But the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, which would be us, hidden in a field, meaning living in the world, which a man, Jesus, found and protects us. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has on the cross and buys that field, meaning the world, and we are in that world. So how can we not think about John 3.16, for God so loved the world? How can we not uh, think of Hebrews where it says, with the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Uh, So much joy language, so much Jesus language, and it opens it up in wonderful ways. What are your thoughts? And, And of course, interpreted that way, we still have the earthly story, but we understand now the heavenly meaning that because of Christ's work for us on the cross in his death and his resurrection, um, we are found, purchased, and now, um, you know, prepared for the heavenly, the, the, the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this, and this is a pastoral um, application question, is when is a time that this parable would be very very, um, I'd say, fruitful to use as a pastor or to all your listeners, you know, as grandparents, parents, um, even as youth. When is this an important parable to use and to read and to reflect on in our lives? Well, you know, the reality is, and I think it's getting worse and worse, um, and I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and and moan and and see about the world, because we have been sojourners and, and pilgrims in this broken world for, well, since, since the call of Abram, let's be honest. Um, but there are so many brothers and sisters who, because they're so beaten down by the world and so oppressed by Satan, and I won't say possessed, but only oppressed, mm. um, and, and life is hard, and they feel terrible about themselves. 
And, you know, um, I had a, I had a member once who, uh, I mean, she had heard somewhere, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if you were the only one in the world, Jesus would have died for you. And of course that statement is intended to make her feel individually because, you know, for God so loved the world, I mean, it's one thing to love the world, but what about me personally? And she would come to me and say, can you tell me where it says that in the scriptures? Because I don't see it. And she had a, such a, a strong, uh, poor self-image, if you will. Um, and, and so I took her to this parable. I said, you are the treasure in the field. Jesus found you in your brokenness. He came to you and he protected you, and he sold everything he had, his life on the cross, for you. Um, and yeah, it's, and it's just as general as John 3.16, but to, to assure our, our individual brothers and sisters that to Christ, they are a priceless treasure. Yes, we sing to him, we know Jesus is a priceless treasure to us, but it's not a treasure that we have earned. It's not a treasure that we have found. It's not a, it's a treasure that has come to us because he sees us as the priceless treasure. And that is very helpful, you know, because it is that, uh, I guess you say subjective justification that we will speak of that. This is, this is for you. You're throwing out the 50 cent words now. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's, he's speaking to you, specifically saying that he died for the world, but also that he died for you. And what I really have to admit, I've read this many times. Like I said, I've loved this, looked at it many times. And I have to admit that the covered up piece, I never really thought much about until you mentioned in this study that that's a protection piece. I'm always like, well, you know, buried in baptism, that doesn't make sense. Um, (laughs) And so to look at that covering up as a protective piece is also an important aspect of our lives. Not only did he die for us, but he protects us. And why is that an important aspect as we think of Jesus and, well, I, um, and him? I think that we, especially as Christians, and I hate to quite put this generalization on, on the church, but we tend to think in New Testament terms. And so we tend to think of Jesus's life as beginning in 4 BC and and living his life for 30 years and then going to the cross. But the reality is, the Son of Man was there at the beginning when the earth was created. And the plan for salvation was put into place from the time that Adam and and Eve sinned. And the call of Abram, the people that God called to himself, are the people that the Son of Man has been protecting for thousands of years and and keeping this remnant together until such time as he would redeem us from Satan and from slavery. And so this is not just a time in which, you know, a short period of time in which Jesus lived. This is the whole history of mankind. We have been protected. That's this whole remnant language that that is is there for such a time as Christ to come and redeem us from Satan. And so, you know, that's why in Hebrews 11, you have this hall of fame of Old Testament saints, because people were saved looking forward to the promise of Christ because he protected them during that time 
even though the, the, the crucifixion had not yet happened. I want to touch more on that uh, after our break. We need to take our break. We are studying the powerful parables in Matthew chapter 13 with Pastor Kevin Parviz, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying the parables of Matthew chapter 13. And as we do so with Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, we are very blessed to remember the important interpretive keys. First of all, that Christ is the actor. The kingdom of heaven is active and that activity goes not only to the world, but to you that you are valued like a treasure. Who knows exactly the treasure? Maybe we'll find out in the next parable. That a man, Jesus, found covered up, meaning his protection. And this protection just didn't start, like you said, in 4 BC. But it, it started way back when. And it continues with that, to see the joy of our Lord. I see it as like the joy of the father and the prodigal son parable running oh, yeah. to his son kind of language, sells all he has to the cross and buys that field, which means he has bought you, not by gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Pastor, anything else in verse 44 you want to highlight? Uh, no, I, I think, though, the, you know, the subjective justification that you set out, that that word, sure. uh, last half hour, um, and and the struggle with individuals feeling like they they matter to God that they have worth and that they are loved, um, I think the next parable is even better than this one ah. uh, for that very purpose of realizing that even one is precious as a priceless treasure to God. Oh, let's get into it then. Verses forty five and forty six. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So, so Pastor, how about we begin here? What is the wrong way of looking at this parable? Well, again, the wrong way is that we're the merchant looking for fine pearls, looking for something. And, you know, human beings are constantly... We are spiritual creatures. God made us in his image. And yet in our sin, we look for anything other than God to, to meet our needs. Sometimes it's crystals. Sometimes it's Eastern mysticism. Sometimes it's New Age stuff. And so we're in search of something, all these things, and we find one thing. Oh, Jesus. And that's what's going to be the answer to our search. And so then we go and sell all that we have and buy Jesus. 
I mean, in one sense, number one, we can't, we can't live up to that standard. Uh, number two, Jesus is priceless. We have nothing to be able to to buy to sell to buy him. Mm. Uh, that that's just a a terrible interpretation of it. But understanding Jesus as the actor makes us the one pearl, each of us individually, one pearl that he finds so precious that he's willing to sacrifice his life for. Well, as we look at this. You see the word first again, which shows the deep connection of the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of great value. It's about the kingdom of heaven, God's reign on earth, which is clearly looks different than our own. So in this text, uh, uh, we would say, who is the merchant? We'll go back to simple things. Just make sure we have it all figured out. Who is the merchant here, Pastor? Yeah, I think the word merchant is an interesting thing because merchants, are people who buy and sell goods, right? Uh, and yet Jesus makes himself akin to a merchant. Uh, what are the goods that he buys and sells? Uh, I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting challenge for us to explain why he uses a merchant here. Uh, because, I mean, it could have been anything looking for fine pearls. But the merchant is a person who goes out and buys uh, find pearls, puts them into jewelry and sells them, uh, all of those kinds of things. There is a commerce aspect to merchants. And if Jesus is the merchant, what's the commerce aspect? And again, we have this redemptive language, the marketplace language. And that's where the merchant falls into is the marketplace. And, and our redemption, we, are, we have a price on our head in our slavery by our slave owner and Jesus pays that price with all that he has and buys us back. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, in, in Luther wrote on the bondage of the will, he said, our, our will is always in bondage either to Satan or to Jesus, but who would, who is the better master? And of course it's Jesus. So he puts us in bondage to him, which is, a benevolent, wonderful, uh, sacrificial sort of Ephesians 5 kind of relationship that we have with him where he sacrifices everything for us. And so like you said, that importance of, first we hear of a treasure, but that could be like a big treasure, you know, the um, Goonies type of treasure that you find. (laughs) But here it's that one pearl and it doesn't, doesn't say he finds one pearl, but it's of great value, which once again, puts that treasure dynamic to it. What, what say, unpack it again. Why is it important that we see this, um, unpacking of one pearl of great value? Why is it important for us? Well, I, I just think for those who are struggling with self-image and with being beaten down by the world, and sometimes even by the church, let's be honest, um, at least the visible church, um, we have we can we can be so beaten down and have such a, a a struggle with how we feel about ourselves. We just don't do well enough. Yeah, we we sin and we don't feel. I'm, I'm always amazed at people who who just can't grasp the fact that their sin is something that Jesus could forget. Mm. Uh, I mean, in, in many ways, I think some people, and I've, I've, I've ministered to people like this for the whole time of my ministry, 
where they make their great sin an idol that even Jesus couldn't have died for and forgiven. Um, and yet here we have in this parable, not just the, the world, not just a great treasure in a field that is a sort of general, but here it's one pearl, it's individual. Jesus finds you, and you are a pearl of great price to him. And he will go out and sell everything he has in order to purchase you. So, Pastor, as we look at these two together, um, I'm trying to think of, 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 of different ways for us to continually highlight this. And are there other parts in Scripture that really come to mind, as you mentioned before? It goes all the way back to Abraham. And so there are other parts of Scripture that you think would connect with these parables um, very easily in your thoughts. Well, I mean, certainly um, what I see is a progression in these parables, and it's going to come to a conclusion in the third. Um, But there's a progression of the sense of John 3.16, you know, the world. And then now we have individual. And today, for example, uh, I'm not sure if it's in your lectionary, but it's in ours. We have a uh, a, an addended lectionary because we do five readings every Sunday in our worship service. Hmm. Uh, was Jeremiah part of the lectionary today? It was. Or Sunday? Uh, yeah, it was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we use Jeremiah and, of course, Moses in, in Exodus chapter 4. And each of those individuals uh, God came to and he called into ministry, yes, promising not an easy ministry but a ministry nevertheless that he, I mean, there's one thing to call the world to him, much like the Great Commission, if you will. But when you, when you look at the individual lives of individuals that God comes to because he loves them so much and he wants to use them for his purposes, uh, that's what he has for you as well. And that's what the one pearl of great Christ is all about. That could have been Jeremiah, that could have been Moses, but that is definitely you. And what a joy that is as we look. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, you know, before the before you were even in the womb, I knew you, you know, um, and, that's, and that's a reminder. Yeah, and even the, the, Go ahead. the language of the psalm today was the same language, you know, yeah. before I was born, I knew you, you knew me, you know. And that's, you know, we usually will think of it in this way, and these parables really hit that over the head, is this understanding of we, we want to do cheers. You know, the, the, the movie, the show that had a song, yeah. we want to go where everybody knows your name, which is true. I mean, we want to go to church. We want people to know who we are. You know, we want to go to the, the restaurant, and they know my name. I want to go to school, and they know my name, my job, and they know my name. Um, but here it goes even above that, where God knew you before you were even in the womb, which reminds us that he knows. And let's be honest, if you and I knew everything about each other, who knows what our relationship would be? But God knows it all, but yet he still in joy sent his son to die for you and me. Other thoughts you have? Yeah, I've I've often told our church that uh, if you truly knew who I was, you wouldn't come to church here. (laughs) Uh, You know, because but God knows who I am, and he still forgives me. Um, and that's really a, a critical thing. And I, I think, you know, the whole na- business, you brought it up, the name. Mm. Uh, and and uh, I think that's really important. And I, of course, I'm sure you do as well. Every pastor does or should. 
when we serve communion, we serve it to them by name. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for you, Deborah, or whoever you are. And I, I struggle sometimes when I'm filling in or, or sometimes guest preaching at other churches and helping to serve communion because I don't know their name. And I grieve over that because I want them to know that this gift is for you personally by your name. And that is that is kind of funny because one blessing that COVID brought for me was the ability to slow down a bit and to really think about the names, make those connections. So I spent, you know, quite a bit of time not practicing. I wasn't practicing in the sanctuary communion with people. But when people started coming back, they didn't all come back in, in hordes right away. And so I started doing that with communion. And, and I've been here for 11 and a half years. And so it was really a powerful thing for me to be able to say that, you know, Penny, the body of Christ for you, Um, you know, Dell, the body of Christ for you, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. There is that, you know, you-ness, you are that fine pearl, you are that treasure, and I'm giving you this treasure of of the body and blood of Christ that really is a a powerful thing as well. And I found it to be even even more powerful for the person receiving it. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very important for us as pastors, but it's even more so for those who are receiving it because what they're receiving is individually for them, the body and blood of Jesus who died and was resurrected and gave this gift for the forgiveness of their sins. And that's just such a, that's one of the biggest blessings of being a pastor. Well, I tell you what, it, I don't think I thought we would turn to that with these parables, but it, how could we not see the wonderful connections of the for you-ness that we have yeah. in, in, uh, in Scripture, Christ-centered, and the sacraments, clearly. So, so, Pastor, let's get to the last number of verses. We have just about 10 minutes left in our time, and I think we could really cover quite a bit with this parable of the net. So I will just read the whole thing here, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Pastor, we do see a connection of the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net. So any thoughts on that connection and in general about this parable? So I I love this progression because now we've come to the point of the cone, if you will. I I make my coffee in a cone, uh, pour overs, right? And so you watch the water swirl around down the cone until it gets to the point, and then it goes out into the cup. And so the, the disciples start with, can you explain this parable of the weeds to us? And he gives them the interpretive key. The Son of Man is the one who sows the good seed. And then he gives them the reality of where this world is going right into this judgment time that we just came out of in Advent. And then he does, there's no transition from him. He, he explains the parable of the weeds in great detail, describing the judgment and the fiery furnace and all that that will happen. 
And then he just goes into, again, and it's very Jewish, this kind of circular um, storytelling that is to make these points over and over again. He goes right into the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, again, like a, a pearl of great price. And now we get to the point, which is a reiteration of the weeds, and it's a, and it's a point of the reality of judgment. And so this great treasure, this pearl of great price, this person that is you personally are going to be sorted by the angels and you will be the righteous and the evil will be thrown into the fiery furnace. And that's the judgment. You know, and I often say this, you know, we often think that on judgment day, it's just going to, we're just going to be rejoicing over the reality that we're on Christ's right hand. But I think there's got to be some sadness and it's got to be a, a moment of the reality that all of the people that we might know that we love and who yet have received Christ are going to be in the left and going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And until such time, and again, we risk that becoming onerous for us, but part of Paul, part of Paul's um, message in first Corinthians 13 is to love one another, much like Christ has loved us. And Jesus gives us in the gospel from Sunday this message of, I can stay here all my life and try to fill the needs of healing and things that need to be done, but I have come to preach the kingdom of God to the other villages. And that's how we love one another, is continue to preach the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Because the reality is, Jesus tells his disciples here, and he tells us, is this all comes to a point at some point. And we're still in a time in which we can be active as those one pearl of great Christ, as the treasure that Christ bought. And we can preach this gospel of grace to those who still are in jeopardy of this fiery furnace. And so this is, there's a, a good way to proclaim this and a bad way. Um, so actually, you know what? I'm going to take a step back before we get to that point. But he speaks about it being like a net. Now, this clearly would have would have hit home for many of the disciples because they were fishermen. Mm -hmm. We see it throughout the Bible um, that just that understanding of the uh, to be fishers of men, and there definitely is that that reality that you 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 I've never done it, but if you throw out the net, you have a bunch of fish. You're going to have some bad ones in there, and you're going to have to sort them out eventually, just like when you have good fruit and you have weeds and you're going to have to separate it later. But this obviously is, is, is God throwing out this net and he's going to figure it out when Jesus returns. And this can be preached in a good way. Like you have mentioned very well that it shows your identity, who you are in Christ, what he has done for you, and you will be the one that will be brought into righteousness. But it does not mean that we will not be grieving. So there's a way of doing this that's good. And there's probably a way that's very bad. What would be a very bad way to present this parable that would not be helpful as we preach and teach and, and serve our neighbors? Well, I mean, there obviously there is, I mean, what does, what this parable doesn't go into is our role in the casting of the net, because God is definitely casting the net. And the net is gathering all these fish, 
And what a, per, a particularly bad way to say it is if you're good enough, you're going to be battered and deep fried and eaten, but that's not good. Uh, <laughs> but, but the reality is um, when this net is drawn in, and of course this actually happens, the, the, the miracle of the overfull net that Peter and, and his disciples and, and Jesus' disciples go through later. Um, the reality is we can become judgmental about those who are thrown into the fiery furnace. We're the good fish. You're the bad fish mm. and you deserve what you're going to get. And, um, and you know, it's sometimes when we look around and we see the rampant evil that goes on, it becomes tempting to, uh, to, to draw those distinctions and say, you deserve what you're going to get. And I just did confirmation on Saturday and we just did the eighth commandment and how we are called by the Eighth Commandment to better our neighbor, to, to do everything we can to protect our neighbor and his reputation, and even, I would say in this case, to bring our neighbor into the relationship that God desires them to have. Now, we can't do that on our own because, you know, if we try to do that on our own, we're going to fail. I, I, it's funny, I, you know, I don't know if you know Zoom, uh, but Zoom, you have to convert the recording in order to post it onto, say, YouTube or something like that. Right. And I was joking last week with one of the gal that does our Zoom stuff. I said, I need to convert that recording. And she said, you'll be fine. And I said, sure, I'll just preach the gospel and they'll be converted. <laughs> and then I worked all week trying to convert this recording and could not get it done. And, and the reality is that's sort of what happens here is that we work and work to convert people and, and it, we can't get it done. The reality is only the Holy Spirit brings people to faith. But we are still called, as Moses was, to speak. Uh, as, as, as Jesus said, you know, I can work all day uh, doing the gifts of the, of the Spirit and healing and driving out demons. And the need here is never ending. But other people need to hear the kingdom of God is coming. I need to preach the gospel in those villages. And so that's, that's what we're called to do. And we dare not look at these distinctions of righteous and evil and think of ourselves as righteous and everyone else is evil and they deserve what they're going to get. It is interesting, interesting because this passage is quoted in the uh, Formula of Concord, Solid Declaration, when it speaks about God's foreknowledge and election, and it really connects well with what you're saying when, it, when the, 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 um, the, the writers the, the, of the Book of Concord wrote this. However, he, the Lord, works according to his usual way. He works by the hearing of the holy and divine word as with a net, referencing Matthew 13, by which the elect are plucked from the devil's jaws. Every poor sinner should therefore attend to the word, hear it attentively, and not doubt the Father's drawing. For the Holy Spirit will be with his word and his power and will work by it. That is the Father's drawing. Reminding and, us, and they, go ahead. The joy of that doctrine of election is that God knows the elect, but we don't. And so God calls us even to be ones who proclaim even to the elect. Now, we can't do anything about the unelect, but there are still, apparently, since I haven't heard 
trumpets blown and seen the dead in Christ rise, they're still elect to come to faith and to be and and to be saved. Mm. And so, until such time, we are still called to uh, to proclaim to the elect. And this does remind me of Matthew chapter three, where you know John the Baptist is out there uh, uh, baptizing. And, 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 you know, the brood of vipers quote that he has in the midst of that. But then he says, and there will be one who will come and will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather wheat into the barn and the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, it's the same language as we see here where it brings once again, what we need to do is not trying to do fruit inspection, about, okay, that person's elect, that person isn't, that person is not, this person is. But for us to look at Jesus, like you said, the, the, the importance of election is that we proclaim the word in his truth and purity, knowing that God's going to figure it out at the end, but we need to be faithful in what we are proclaiming, which, how does that not connect to these parables? It's just a wonderful connection yeah. that we have. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I your suspect thoughts. he's already figured it out, but for whatever reason, he's... <laughs> He's using us in this great economy of his, but I can't figure out why he would want to. Yeah. But he loves us enough to, to empower us with the Holy Spirit and use us. Well, Pastor, we only have about a minute and a half left in our time. How would you encourage, as we look at all three of these parables, how would you encourage our listeners um, to, uh, to use, and we've said this throughout our program, but just one final summary and also why this is important for us to read and preach and teach as Christian people. Well, I just think it's really important to know, number one, that if, if, you know, if you were the only one in the world, God, Jesus would have died for you. I mean, you are the priceless pearl that Jesus uh, sold everything he has, his, his life and purchased. And so in that, um, we are joyful enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered, to proclaim the grace that we've already received to those who so desperately need it. And prayerfully, yes, we will run across an elect and he will come to faith, he or she will come to faith and joyfully join us in the, in the same endeavor until we hear those trumpets and Christ calls us home. Pastor Kevin Parviz of Congregation Kai V. Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri, unpacking these powerful parables from Matthew chapter 13. Pastor Parviz, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Yeah, thank you and blessings to you on your day. As we hear these parables today, it is a reminder of who we are in Christ. Identity is so important that someone knows our name, they knew us before we were even born, and they would, and he enjoy has gone to die on the cross for you. That is our hope and that is our strength. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.